welcome to Good Guy Grant's podcast. It's mad decent. And this is the Good Guy Grant podcast. I'm your host, Grant. Coming up on today's show, we're going to talk a little COVID-19 when it comes to college football. I want to talk also a little college football in terms of uh, Otis Reese. Uh, we'll talk about a little bit about what's going on in the NBA, uh, a little bit of baseball talk as well. So we're going to go in a couple different directions on this episode. I want to start talking about college football first off. For people that don't know, the Big Ten has came out and said they're going to do an eight-game season starting in October, and then the Pac-12 has come out. To, excuse me, yeah, the Pac-12 has come out today that they are going to do a seven-game season starting the beginning of November, which is interesting. So for people I don't know, Ohio State has been in the middle of this COVID uh, kind of college football shutdown. Justin Fields has come out multiple times saying that they want to play. He's talking about the players. And what people are not noticing or talking about, though, behind the scenes, Ohio State this summer in July had over 20 players test positive for COVID-19. You're not seeing a lot of it because it wasn't brought up. uh, But I know from digging deep into not only articles and sources and everything, Ohio State had at least 23 players test positive for COVID-19 in July this summer. Now, you know, whether they were asymptomatic, uh, whether they were showing different kind of symptoms, uh, that's another story. So you had Ohio State have over 20 players test positive. I remember in this summer, you had Texas, uh, the University of Texas have over 30 players test positive for COVID-19. Uh, Ed Orgeron, the head football coach for the LSU Tigers, has basically said that his entire team at this point this summer had COVID-19. He was down to basically four offensive linemen uh, a few weeks ago that were basically the only ones that didn't have COVID on the O-line. Uh, so with COVID-19 happening, uh, we've seen a lot of games uh, get postponed. Uh, a few in the ACC. It's getting to the point to where the ACC, it's kind of scary. You had Virginia Tech have to cancel a game because of COVID. Uh, you've had other programs like North Carolina have to move games. You've had other programs as well in the ACC. If it gets to the point to where less than eight teams in the ACC can finish out the season, the ACC will have to shut down the entire football season. They won't have enough teams to where it will, will matter at the end. So they have to get through the COVID um, season. Uh, and basically, there's also coaches that have already come out and say that we're not going to release the number of positive tests week in and week out for COVID. Uh, you heard uh, University of Texas head coach Tom Herman already say that he's not releasing any of the positive tests week to week. Uh, it became an issue the first week of the season. Because Tom Herman actually had a couple positive tests a couple days before the first game of the season, and they weren't sure if they were even going to be able to play that first game. Ultimately, they did get it in. Texas won by a good amount of points in the week one. Uh, but with Ohio State, you know, Justin Fields just came out all summer saying he wants to play. Uh, but over 23, like I said, positive COVID tests uh, in July for Ohio State that has not been talked about, which I think is a big issue. You know, Justin Fields. Uh, talked about wanting to play so badly, but then what if they didn't have enough players to where, and I know it's, it's 90 people on, on a team. So 23 is not even half of the roster, but let's say 23 players were in the, either the first or second team uh, depth chart. That's a big loss for Ohio State. You know, they do a really good job with recruiting, uh, especially on the defensive line and wide receiver. Um, but it's, it's a matter of safety. And with the decision of the big 10, and the Pac-12 uh, playing this season. It comes down to money. 
Ultimately, these programs want to get as much money in as possible, especially Ohio State, uh, which actually it's come out recently the past few days, uh, whether it's on the radio or just uh, you know through the interweb. Ohio State did not have any backup funds to cover for a pandemic like this. You have universities, uh, for instance, University of Pittsburgh has over 40 million uh, that they're using uh, for this COVID, what's going on to basically pay you know, the staff or any kind of losses that the school has. Ohio State, uh, just for fall, brings in over $115 million due to the, you know, the football program and the other sports that goes on with the university. Year in and year out, OSU uses that money and they spend all of it. They don't have any backup fund to use, uh, whether it's using on new football equipment, uh, new facilities, whether it's uh, building new buildings on campus. OSU is having to lay off some of their full-time workers and also furlough and make people take pay cuts. Now, two of the biggest names you'll hear in terms of taking a pay cut is head coach Ryan Day. Uh, He is the football coach at OSU. Uh, Chris Holtzman, who is the uh, head basketball coach for OSU, is taking a 5% pay cut as well. Uh, but to see people have to lose their jobs because a university that makes in over 120 million every fall refuses to save money. It's, it's sad to see. Um, nobody asked for COVID-19. It's been a tough year, 2020, uh, going through this for a lot of people. I understand that. Uh, but especially, you know, you have coaches that are, I don't think are taking it as serious as they should. These are coaches that are getting paid millions and millions of dollars. And when you're a parent of one of these players, The main thing you're asking this coach when your child commits to your school, are you going to take care of my child for the next four or five years while at the university? And the head coach will always tell the parent or the guardian, whichever one it is, yes, I will take care of your kid as best of my abilities. A lot of head coaches, I know it's it's hard to keep track of 90 scholarship kids plus walk-ons. So you're looking at about 108 to 115 players on a roster. Uh, That's, like I said, counting walk-ons with 90 scholarship players uh, in every single team uh division one but the thing about osu you know it's sad to see the people being laid off or having to take pay cuts because of covid19 and because the university refuses to save money it's sad in college football that head coaches like tom herman uh, i think ryan days also came out and said that they will not disclose the positive covid test week in and week out uh you know i don't understand why you would hide that information uh, at the end of the day, we as uh, sports fans, as well as just uh, people in general, have a right to know how many people are testing positive. You know, let's say for some reason I'm driving uh, down on OSU campus to you know mail something or or do something. I want to make sure I'm not around a player who's positive for COVID or anybody that's been around people that are near COVID as well. Ultimately, I'm one of those people that avoid uh, the university as well as a lot of places around me. Um, due to the fact that I feel if I stay home, I am safer than going out at this moment. Uh, but with a lot of COVID testing uh, happening each and every week, uh, you're going to see a lot more positive COVID tests come out. But it's just a matter of will the head coach of these college football programs actually release the positive amount of players that have tested positive for COVID-19 week in and week out. I think the Pac-12, uh, they were one of the first conferences along with the Ivy League and the MAC to say they didn't feel that this season was safe. Now, as of today, the Pac-12 is going to do a seven-game season. Uh, the Pac-12 commissioners came to a vote and ultimately voted to play the season. At the end of the day, it comes down to money and bringing in the money for these universities so that way they're not taking as big of a deficit. Uh, you have a lot of programs losing money because fans are not in the stands, of course. Uh, with uh, some of the universities, you know, Michigan has over 105,000 fans in the stands, Penn State as well. 
Uh, LSU has over 100,000 in the stands as well as OSU. Uh, so the loss of fans in the stadium uh, is a big loss for the university. But at the end of the day, these universities are getting over $100 million every fall. And the fact that they refuse to save some of this money to put back in case of something like this. Now, like I said, nobody expected COVID-19. Nobody saw this coming uh, except for at the beginning of the year uh, when the president definitely dropped the ball. Uh, but ultimately, the universities have to do a better job of saving money for rainy days like COVID-19 or just have backup money in case something like this happens in the future, uh, especially OSU. Uh, Kudos to the programs that are able to save money each and every fall and keep a backup fund for times like this to where they can cover the losses, to where they're not laying off uh, important faculty and staff members uh, for university or making them take a pay cut. Uh, but especially when you're making over $100 million every fall for OSU not to save money, that's that's it's horrible to see. Now sticking to college football, I want to talk a little something different. So for people who don't know, I follow the University of Georgia program pretty well. Uh, I, I watch a lot of and read a lot about the SEC, uh, LSU, you know, Florida, uh, Texas A&M, uh, Georgia. One of the football players that was at the University of Georgia, his name's Otis Reese. Um, he was a second-year player, played defensive back, uh, came into the University of Georgia as a four-star prospect, uh, was told when he – got to the university that it was a great atmosphere. You know, the fans are great. You're going to love them. Otis Reese came out recently and said that once he stepped foot on campus, it was definitely a different atmosphere than what he expected. He's dealt with a lot of racial abuse at the university of Georgia from fans, people on campus, students, uh, faculty, things like that. Uh, during the season, Otis Reese at the beginning of the year, excuse me, last season at the beginning of the year, uh, told Kirby smart that he wanted to transfer Kirby Smart said, okay, uh, finish out the season. I'll allow you to transfer, and you'll be eligible immediately. Well, it's came off that Otis Reese tried to transfer to Old Miss uh, in January, and he's still not eligible to play for this season. Uh, Georgia is blocking his transfer to be immediately eligible for this football season, stating that because Otis Reese transferred inside the conference to another SEC school, he should not be immediately ineligible. The interesting part of this, this is not the first time the University of Georgia has had issues with their fans as well as students on campus having issues with race, saying uh, disrespectful things to black athletes. If you remember uh, two years ago, quarterback of OSU, Justin Fields, who actually started at the University of Georgia as a freshman, uh, he was the backup to Jake Fromm. Justin Fields transferred to Ohio State because of racial slurs that was said to him while he was playing football and also while he was walking around on campus. Uh, so he ultimately transferred to OSU, got immediately eligibility. Because of that, he won his case. And the fact that Otis Reese, who's in the same type of situation as Justin Fields, is not eligible yet is ridiculous. And also the fact that this keeps happening now multiple times at the University of Georgia is a travesty. And the fact that the athletic department has not made any statements about this, the university president has not made a statement about this. They need to jump on board this and shut this down. This cannot be happening on major university campuses, small university campuses. Racial justice needs to do needs to happen. Everybody should be treated equally. The fact that Otis Reese 
is having these issues. He transferred out of school because he was not having fun. He was not enjoying his time at Georgia. He had to deal with racial slurs said to him by the students on campus, by the boosters, things like that as well. And the fact that he had the same issue that Justin Fields had a couple years ago, but Justin Fields was immediately eligible to play at Ohio State. But Otis Reese, for some reason, is not immediately eligible just because he's going to an SEC school. That is ridiculous. Kirby Smart should be ashamed of himself. The NCAA needs to step in and make Otis Reese immediately eligible so he can play this season. If a, if a college football coach or just a coach in that matter can leave a school whenever he wants and take another job and immediately become eligible, so should a player. They are putting their, their lives on the line each and every day, playing a sport that they love, going to class as a student. They should have a right to transfer to wherever school they want, whenever they want, just like a regular student. The fact that they are blocking this transfer is absolutely ridiculous due to the fact that Otis Reese's claim of racial insensitivity is absolutely ridiculous. He should be immediately eligible. He should be allowed to play for Old Miss, and he should be allowed to continue his collegiate career. Now, the fact that Georgia has not made any statements about this besides Kirby Smart saying it's up to the NCAA. No, Kirby Smart, you had a chance to put in a good word to the NCAA for Otis Reese. Keep your word of what you told Otis Reese last season when you told him if he finished out the season, he would grant you a transfer and make you immediately eligible to whatever school you go to. The fact that Kirby Smart is going back on his word, the fact that this happened at the University of Georgia again under Kirby Smart's watch is absolutely bad. I think the NCAA really needs to look further into the University of Georgia, and this keeps happening. Justin Fields and now Otis Reese. The NCAA needs to do something about it, whether it's uh, you know finding the school, finding Kirby Smart, finding the athletic department, but they need to step in because this racial, ridiculous language that people are calling black athletes, any kind of other athletes is absolutely ridiculous and needs to be able to put an end to this. Now, like I said, uh, to start the program, the Pac-12 has voted uh, for a seven-game season starting in November uh, for football, so they'll get that started. Big Ten is set to start at the end of October. This allows the Pac-12 as well as the Big Ten to be eligible for the college football playoffs. They will be able to contend for the national title, whoever comes out of those conferences, as long as they have a record to be able to do that as well. So that's going to be interesting to see that. Um, for anybody wondering, Game 4, of the Western Conference Finals between the Lakers and Nuggets is tonight at 9 o'clock. I'll definitely be watching that. I think it's these playoffs have been absolutely amazing to watch, to be honest with you. So many close games, so many uh, buzzer beaters in terms of games coming down to the willy-nilly. Uh, it's going to be interesting, and I think this season is going to be um, – these playoffs, excuse me, have one of the been one of the best um, in a very long time, I would say. Uh, another topic I want to kind of talk about is Billy Donovan. For people that don't know, he has been hired by the Chicago Bulls to be their head coach. And he he's 55 years old, uh, spent the last couple seasons with the Oklahoma City Thunder. For people that don't know, uh, he won uh, nat two national championships at the University of Florida as a head coach as well in 2006-2007. He was with the, the Oklahoma City Thunder from 2015 to 2020, and now he takes over the Chicago Bulls. Billy Donovan's record for people that don't know as a head coach. Now, like I said, he's only coached at Oklahoma city as the head coach for them. His record uh, for a coach in the NBA. And again, this is only at one place is total games coached 
winning record, winning percentage at these schools is total. So at Florida, he was 467 and 186. That was his college career. Uh, he coached at Florida from 96 all the way to 2014. But in Oklahoma City, he coached 400 games. He won 243, and he lost 157 for a win-loss percentage of 60%, which is pretty good. Now, the the big year that they had, the Thunder, this was back in 2015 when they had Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook on the team. They lost in the conference finals that year. Other than that, the last four years, the Oklahoma City Thunder have been bounced in the first round of the playoffs. Now, Bulls fans, you know, you haven't been to the playoffs in a number of years. Um, even getting to the playoffs would definitely be a major step in the right direction. Uh, but it's definitely an upgrade over uh, former coach Jim Boylan. I, I do like the hire in terms of that. The thing I worry about, you know, I am a Bulls fan and everything with this hire is Billy Donovan, when he's at being the head coach at Oklahoma City, he's never developed a young player to make any player on that roster better. When he had Kevin Durant, Kevin Durant was already an all-star before Billy Donovan got there. Russell Westbrook was already an all-star before Billy Donovan got there. What player on that roster has Billy Donovan improved in the five years that he was there. I, do, I can't find any. He has not improved Hamadou Diallo, who was a second-round pick. He has not improved Logan Stewart. He had one good game in the playoffs. That doesn't mean you're improved. Uh, Darius Baisley, the, who was the rookie this year, has not been improved as well. Uh, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, who they got in the uh, last year as well in a trade, he has not improved. He's basically the same player he was. Uh, also, when you're looking down in terms of their roster, Oklahoma City, Billy Donovan has not improved any of the young talent on that roster, whether it's due to Oklahoma City not bringing in a lot of young talent. Uh, they've drafted a lot of younger uh, players in the draft, you know, Terrence Ferguson, Hamadou Diallo, uh, Darius Baisley, uh, all under the age of 23. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see with the Bulls' young core of Wendell Carter Jr., Laurie Marketing, you got Kobe White. Uh, the only veteran uh, that they have on the team is Thad Young and Tomas Thadaransky, who they got in the offseason last year. Uh, but it's going gonna, it's gonna to be interesting to see how Jim Boylan, if he can develop the young talent in Chicago uh, and actually make them a playoff team. Now, it comes down to the young talent, of course. Uh, biting all-star Zach Levine, who I thought should have been an all-star last season, is the Bulls' best player. He averaged over 22 points a game last year. Should have been an all-star, in my opinion, but because of the Bulls' record, he was not. Um, ultimately it comes down to can Billy Donovan develop young talent for this season? Can he get the most out of Laurie Market and Wendell Carter Jr. and Kobe White? Those are the Bulls last three first round picks all at number seven. The Bulls this year are going to be picking in the top five. Ultimately, I think they're going to go small forward. I think Otto Porter, who has one year left on his deal, uh, they're either going to let him finish or they're going to try to deal him uh, before the season starts. So that's going to be interesting to keep an eye on that as well if you're a Bulls fan. But Billy Donovan, the new coach of the Chicago Bulls, got a four-year deal. Uh, it comes down to development. Can you develop the talent that's on the roster, have them improve, or is it going to be to where Billy Donovan's going to bring in multiple veteran players so he doesn't have to play the younger players as many minutes? Now, Billy Donovan's first year with Oklahoma City Thunder, he was given Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook in his first season. Ultimately, Kevin Durant did leave, went to Golden State. Now he plays for the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, he's hoping to get healthy this offseason so he can play next year. Uh, but Billy Donovan, he's got a tough road ahead of him. Again, best player on the team for the Bulls is Zach Levine. 
Uh, he has to develop Laurie Markkinen, who's been pretty much the same player the last couple years. Uh, I contribute that to Laurie Markkinen not developing his game, but also the coaching staff the Bulls had from the previous regime. I love the Bulls' new front office. They did get the GM from the Denver Nuggets, who I, I it's Arturo, and I can't pronounce his last name, uh, but he's done an amazing job in his previous stop with Denver. He's the one that drafted Jamal Murray. He's the one that drafted Nikola Jokic, Michael Porter Jr., Monte Morris. All that talent that you see in Denver was brought in by the GM, who is now the new president of basketball operations for the Chicago Bulls. I think the that's a really good move. I'm going to be watching the Bulls really close. I get league pass every year, so I'm going to be watching every Bulls game like I do. Uh, but it's going to come down to the development of these players. It's going to come down to can Billy Donovan uh, coach young talent and make them improve from they were before. Uh, if we want to stop and take a look at baseball right now in the standings, uh, my Reds are kind of getting there. They're about 80% chance of making the playoffs. I'm excited. Uh, if you're an Indians fan, they did clinch uh, the chance to go to the playoffs, so the Indians will be in the playoffs, which is good to see for their fans. You had the Dodgers clinch, of course, in the NL West. Uh, I would hope you can clinch with that payroll. You better be able to make the playoffs. Uh, you had the Braves clinching as well uh, in the NL East, which is good. The Oakland Athletics, who I think honestly have a good chance in the American League because of their pitching. Uh, it's just a matter of can their hitting come around for the playoffs the thing with Oakland Athletics, they always have a lot of young talent when it comes to young arms because they don't have a high payroll. So they're, they put a lot of emphasis on their scouts. So that way they can get that uh, talent in there and pitching. And then what they do is they look for bargain players, but they also look to develop players as well. Uh, players like, for instance, Matt Olson, their first baseman, came through the ranks of the Oakland Athletics. Uh, you got another player um, as well in um, – Oh, his name, uh, Stephen Piscotti is another name uh, as well. Uh, but the I think the Oakland A's, with their pitching, I think they can they can make a run, I think, in the American League. Um, it's going to be interesting to see. I think these playoffs, man, baseball really needs these playoffs to be money because I think with the, the way the season started before the season with the owners and, of course, the players arguing, and then you had a shortened season, you've had multiple games get pushed back because of COVID, Major League Baseball really needs to hit a home run with these playoffs to really get the fans back in. Because like I've said on a previous episode, next season, not the season that we're in right now, next season, at the end of next season, I see the players striking because the players' agreement between the owners and players is up and they have to come with a new Major League Players' Agreement and Owners' Agreement for which the owners got the best deal this season. They got most of the revenue. The players lost over $15 million in playoff money. I don't think the players are going to be as kind uh, when these meetings come up next December. So it's going to be interesting to keep an eye on that. But Major League Baseball needs to hit a home run with these playoffs and have a really good playoff so that way they can bring the fans back that they've lost because of all the back and forth between owners and players. So it's one of the things you got to keep an eye on. I know since I'm a Reds fan, if they make the playoffs, I'm going to be following the playoffs closely. Uh, it's good to see uh, guys like Trevor Bauer uh, pitching well. I think uh, he's going to be a free agent in the offseason. One of the teams to kind of watch in the Trevor Bauer sweet states is, on a, like I said on a previous episode, the New York Mets. I think they can use Trevor Bauer. He's a young arm. I think they can uh, give him a nice little deal to bring him to New York. I don't think he'll have a problem handling that New York media. He definitely brings fans to the ballpark with his demeanor, the way he pitches. Uh, but Trevor Bauer, I think, is up there in the Cy Young conversation for this season. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens in the offseason with him. I don't see him coming back to Cincinnati. I don't think they're going to be able to offer him enough money. 
So uh, Trevor Bauer is going to be a free agent, and it's going to be interesting to keep uh, our eyes on that. And we're also going to be keeping an eye on the playoffs for Major League, uh, which start here in the next couple of weeks. going to be interesting to see how they go, as well as the, the ratings that they're going to get to see if a lot of people are watching the Major League Baseball playoffs, if they're paying attention. You got the NBA playoffs finishing up, which is really good. Uh, I've ultimately loved both series. I think Boston and Miami has been a really good series. Uh, Denver and the Lakers has been entertaining. Uh, ultimately, I think the Lakers are going to win tonight, though. I think just LeBron takes over with Anthony Davis, and ultimately think the Lakers win tonight. Uh, you got the NFL. You know, you're in week three, uh, still kicking off. You got uh, fans, some of them going back in the uh, in the stands in the NFL. Only two teams in the NFL are not allowing fans in the stands this entire season. That is the Las Vegas Raiders as well as the Washington football team. The rest of the NFL teams are going to have fans in the stands. Of course, not at full capacity. It's going to be limited. I think the Cowboys had the most fans in the stands week two uh, with 25% full in the stands for week two. I don't see a lot of teams even going that high, 25%, not even close to 50% in terms of fans in the stands for the season. It's too much of a risk. Uh, but this is the Good Guy Grant podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode and you guys enjoy the rest of your week.